Not many task orders are worth nearly a billion dollars, but the Defense Department's Central Command just issued a big one to Paraton. CENTCOM wants help with a variety of information and intelligence challenges. For more on the contract, Tom Temin spoke with Paraton's technical lead program manager, Sean Chenoweth. I think it would be beneficial to tell people who exactly Paraton is. It's not quite a household word yet corporately, yet you are not a small business startup either. Effectively, what Paraton is, over, particularly over the last year, they've absorbed, uh, started as a, a, a smaller entity uh, from the history of Harris and other organizations, but they've absorbed Northrop Grumman, who I was originally a member of in the services sector, effectively doubling the size of Paraton and then some. And then uh, right after that, we also acquired Perspecta. So we've effectively doubled in size in three months each month, right? So pretty significant. And Perspecta, another name which didn't quite get a chance to catch on, that was part of the old HP I believe. Sure. Okay. Well, you need a genealogy chart to figure it all out. But more important is this contract. And what is it that CENTCOM is asking you to do specifically? At its core, as we've built the modern Paraton, right, and, and it's structurally focused on uh, what we do at being part of the critical nexus in protecting the American people, our U.S. interests, our mission partners to directly support those missions of consequence. Activities like Opius uh, and other the, the contractors specifically speaking of, it's really designed to achieve operational and strategic advantages primarily in the information environment. And so, you mentioned Opius. That stands for something? It does. Operational, planning, implementation, and assessment support. Okay. Well, a lot of those words don't exactly say what you're going to do. That is to say, is this a software development contract? Is it professional services? Will you be online with employees there along with CENTCOM employees? And how does it all work here? So there's three activities I like to kind of bucket in what we'll be doing. One would be insight. The other one will be influence. And the last one would be expertise. How I kind of break those down, when it comes to the insight, what we're really doing is providing characterization of the information environment, right? How people behave, how they ingest information, how they use that in their cognitive faculties to then make decisions that affect the physical environment. And what's really important to know about this particular vehicle and the efforts we've done in our previous incarnations and now as part of Paraton is that you know, we've been doing this work for a long time. And it's not just for CENTCOM. CENTCOM is the super user, but we're actually supporting a variety of other government agencies and other combatant commands, unified commands, their components, Department of State. So anyone in the U.S. government who are seeking support in those activities of insight, influence, and, and expertise, you know, we've been doing that for, for five plus years and we'll continue to do that under OPIUS. And under Insight, you're looking at how people use information, that is to say how federal employees interacting with information sources. This is really focused on foreign audiences, right? So not internal to the United States, but external. Okay? So what we're really looking at is you know, how do different areas who have various cultural nuances, their barriers to change, things that they're doing that we can do to understand um, how to influence them to make certain decisions favorable to themselves, uh, more often than not, and, of course, U.S. interests and strategic goals. The globe is full of those ideological challenges. And so for the insight portion, it's kind of characterizing those different regions, those different activities, how those target audiences work from a macro to a micro level. And then, of course, the influence side. How do we appropriately message them at scales in order to get them to make behavior changes favorable to U.S. outcomes, but also you know, often for themselves as well? And then, of course, from the expertise side, that's where we're providing the, the various planners that we have, staff, social scientists, et cetera, that are helping enable those activities on the back end. 
And what countries does this tend to focus on? I imagine not France and Great Britain. Depends on the client, right? So their interests, which are pretty known if you read any of their their various uh, activities and their statements, you can kind of guess by the combatant commands or State Department what they might be particularly interested in, the level of effort they're put. But basically globally, you know, we operate globally. We're speaking with Sean Chenoweth. He's a technical lead program manager at Periton. So, for example, assuming we have some level of engagement going forward with Afghanistan, the way in which federal agencies, whether it's the State Department or USAID possibly or whatever, sends messages and information to people under the control of the Taliban or to Afghanis is different than the way they would tailor messages and communications, say, to people in Iraq or people in Saudi Arabia or wherever. And I've been doing this for over 20 years, really. And we can do things today that you know were unheard of even 10 years ago due to the advent of mobile technology, social media, the way people are connected, how they behave, identify themselves, what they're interested in. Um, so you can really get very nuanced on you know, which target audiences you care to message, at which scale, how you need to tailor those messages to them, and not just the messages themselves, but the delivery mechanism, um, how you want to build a brand, manage a brand, build communities, you know, get the population to access. And it all requires, again, the, the experts who can build the policy and the programs, the insight that you're actually building those plans from, and then, of course, your capacity to then be influential, manage communities, and, and have those impacts. So. And how do you know what a population needs to get to be effective in terms of communication to it? How do you find that out? You're using your pretty standard marketing techniques, right? How do they behave on their normal profiles, their portfolios, things they access, what they spend their money on, public opinion surveys, in-depth interviews. You know, We'll run the gambit. You know, the, the most effective tool is like good energy policy, right? It's, it's more of all. Same with the messaging. So. so in other words, to get that information, it has to be a country at least in which you have some freedom to operate, to talk to people in depth. For example, you couldn't do those activities in North Korea. Well, what's interesting about, you know, particularly what we're doing in the information environment, and it is absolutely cogent to the way the globe is currently aligned and operating is, you know, when it comes to pure capability, the, the United States, you know, we talk near care peer competitor, particularly China and Russia, and, and why that is true, that they are a near-peer competitor, we, we still have a tremendous capability and leap on them generally for the most part, right? We talk in terms of control a lot of the times when we talk, talk in, in that kind of language, right? Controlling aerospace, controlling the sea, controlling the land. When it comes to the information environment, there is no control. It's a binary choice. Are you going to participate in it at a level that matters or not? So, you know, would I say that there's anywhere that we're really denied? No, there, there's not, because people will always communicate that communications cross borders. It's not limited to, you know, satellite TV or Internet. It's face-to-face communication. It's, it's how the word is spread, and there's no real way to shut that down. So it really is, what are you going to do to be influential? If you choose to do nothing, then the target audiences and will make their own decisions and will we'll carry on, and you cannot be surprised when the outcome might be negative. So under this task order, then, Periton experts are available to a variety of agencies, including CENTCOM, but some of the other ones you mentioned, for them to develop better communication products and strategies for whatever they need to tell the outside world. Is that a fair way to summarize it? Absolutely. Yeah. To accomplish behavior changes, right? Attitude is a poor indicator of behavior. You can still be a bad person and decide not to hurt others, you know. (laughs) Well, that's true, too. And by the way, what contract was this task order under? Where did they find you? The contract is OPIAS, as we talked about, um, O-P-I-A-S. It's under GSA. 
Got it. So it's on the GSA schedule, or is it is OPS a GSA operated? Vehicle. It's a task order inside the GSA on the Oasis contract vehicle. Oasis. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was trying to get at. I'm curious. Sure. All right, but the manager of the task order, then I guess the best way to put it is CENTCOM. Well, yes, absolutely. GSA administers the contract. You know, really, it's it's an agreement between us and GSA as the prime. Then the various clients access it, obviously, through agreements with GSA, and which is why, again, we're servicing the entirety of the U.S. government who are interested in it. CENTCOM is, of course, the super user. Sean Chenoweth is a technical lead program manager at Paraton. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. And you can hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe on Podcast One or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm. I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most 
was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. 
It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.